morning. Excited to be here this morning to open the word. I'm humbled by the passage that we're given today. I'm humbled by the reading of Isaiah 53. It's always a a beautiful reminder of the work that Christ did on our behalf, uh, also to glorify the Father. Um, It's also a challenge to us to live in a manner as he lived, to work in a way that he lived, and um, to do that for the glory of the Lord also. Um, today we're going to be in Second Peter 2, 21 through 25. We're going to look at tracing the life of Christ during unjust treatment. Following the example of Christ, tracing the life of Christ during unjust treatment. If you would, before we begin, let's pray together and ask the Lord to open, uh, reveal his, open our hearts as he reveals his word to us. Lord, we're so thankful for another opportunity to meet together as the saints gathered. Lord, I pray that we never take it for granted that we have the opportunity to gather together, to worship together, to lift each other up, to encourage, to exhort, Lord, to bring alongside, to do your will. Lord, help us to value this time and time with the church uh, more than anything we do in our week, more than anything we could possibly do. Lord, I pray that you would open your word to our hearts today, Lord, that you would teach us from it, that you would show us uh, your message and not a message that we want to hear, that we would be willing to hear it and be submissive to it, to be obedient, to follow you as the good shepherd. We love you, we praise you, we pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Tracing the life of Christ during unjust treatment. Over the last few weeks we have been discussing the different types of authority in our lives. The first two topics uh, were dealing with situations where authority acted unjustly. Well, the first dealing with governmental authorities, the king and the governor who who did not always act in a right way towards other people. And and we can experience that. We have experienced that. We've exhausted that a little bit, but uh, I just wanted to remind you of that. The second being uh, otherworldly authorities. Specifically, what was mentioned was the relationship between a slave and a master, but really what that relates to more in our time is the relationship between uh, an hourly or a salary worker and their boss. Uh, really the relationship between us and any sort of uh, worldly authority, Uh, I guess whether we're getting paid or not. Um, When we deal with government authorities, when we deal with bosses, I would say a lot of the time, maybe most of the time, they don't always act in our best interest, which often uh, brings about unjust treatment. And so what we need to realize is, is that since it's going to happen, uh, we need to respond in a way that firstly honors the Lord and secondly uh, is a gospel testimony to those who witness our behavior. When we do this, when we show this respect for authority, we are not only showing respect for the authority that is directly above us, but more importantly, We are showing that we honor the commands and the words of Christ, which is really the most important of that that behavior anyway. 
So last week I informed you of some truths that we have that I think are good to follow as it pertains to our different areas where we're going to have to submit and respect authority, even uh, whether it be unjust or just authority. And I want to remind you of those today so that you can understand that authority is will always be a fixture in your life. So you can say, you can look at authority and you can say, well, authority is here, but I'm going to do what I want to do, and you can act like it doesn't exist. You can be sort of an anarchist. You can be a rule breaker or whatever. Or, or you can look at authority, and you can make a plan to honor the Lord in your obedience to authority. Uh, that starts uh, as children, and it goes all the way through our death. You are always going to be in submission uh, to someone. And so last week I gave you four uh, as a, like a side note, not as a part of the sermon, I gave you four kind of principles uh, that we use or that we understand in order to obey uh, this God-given authority. And I want to remind you of those today. Uh, I'll probably remind you of them uh, every week during this particular section of First uh, Peter. But the first thing we need to be reminded of as it pertains to authority is that all authority is placed by God. All authority is placed by God. When I remember and see the authority figures over me, whether unjust or just, as placed by God, then I have to understand that there is a plan, there is a reason for these things, even if it doesn't always turn out uh, in the brightest way for me. So all authority is placed by God. Another thing I'm reminded, I need to remind myself, is all authority is implemented for the working of God's will. Even Pharaoh was put into his leadership into place for the working of the will of the Lord. And God was glorified through the disobedient life of Pharaoh. So all authority is placed by God. All authority is implemented for the working of God's will. Uh, another thing that we have to understand, and we're actually going to hit on this pretty hard today, is that we are called to obey authority in general, but we are called to obey authority as unto the Lord. If it helps you, it may not help you because you may not be this imaginative. I am, I am not always. But something I try to do that helps me is I try to picture whatever I'm doing as if I'm laying it down at the feet of Jesus. Now, it doesn't always work for me because sometimes the devil is too pre present in those difficult situations. But uh, I'm trying to do everything that I can as it pertains to submission to authority, as it pertains to my daily walk with him, whatever it may be, as if I'm laying this gift down at the feet of Jesus. The reason we do the things that we do is because we are gifting Jesus our lives to thank him for what he's done for us. And so when we look at ourselves as obeying God rather than men, uh, it's a little bit easier, especially, uh, especially with my tendencies to like, to like try to win, like I'm not obeying you, I'm obeying God. Like I, I feel like I get a win if that's the, if that's the case, you know. So uh, maybe that helps you. And the fourth thing is we are not held responsible by God for what is done to us, but how we respond to those actions. It's important that we understand this because you are going to be you're going to be mistreated. Things will happen that will be terrible to you. If you're younger in here, you're going to have some terrible things happen to you in your life. I'm sorry to tell you that. It's just a part of life. Uh, and some way more than others. But you have to understand this. We are not, uh, 
If something is done to us, we are not responsible for the action that is done to us. Uh, so all the shame that that may incur and all the other uh, problems that come with those acts, we're not responsible for that. We're only responsible for how we respond and then how we sort of are picked up by the Lord in that. So all authority is placed by God. It's implemented by God's, for God's will. Uh, we are to obey authority as unto the Lord, and we're only responsible for how we respond to uh, the difficult situations of life. Today we're going to see that Peter gives the greatest reasoning for obeying authority, and that is because we have a great example that has already been set in Christ, and then Christ says, he sets the example, he sets the bar high, and then he says, trace, follow what I'm doing. Today our verse will show us how to trace the life of Christ during unjust treatment. Look at Second, First uh, Peter chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-five. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His footsteps. He committed no sin; neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but He continued entrusting Himself. To him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, that you have now, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. While our lives have been likely marked by relative peace... It's not foreign to us, and it's certainly not foreign to other Christians in the world who have had to face difficult times of unjust treatment. Now, we see it more and more as time goes on, even in a country whose foundation is liberty and, and justice for all, equal treatment for all people. I know that you may often hear this from me, this subject of uh, suffering or unjust treatment of Christians. You may even be tired of it thinking we've exhausted the subject, but there is a reason that this subject keeps coming up, uh, aside from the fact that it's in the Bible. Uh, but and, and one of the main reasons is, and we sort of, as we discuss this, I will label this as sort of spoiled child syndrome. I don't know if that's an official scientific term, but uh, if, it, if it isn't, I'm going to, I will... Uh, copyright that today. But we discuss suffering. We discuss unjust treatment to avoid spoiled child syndrome. Spoiled child syndrome is this. Um, if you've ever seen a child that's never been told no, or you've ever seen a child that's never faced much heartache, you have also been able to see a reaction that they have when they are finally told no, or when they're finally, uh, when they finally receive much heartache. Uh, on a side note, a side sermon, a soapbox, whatever you want to call it, this is why I think it's incredibly important that you start as early as you think your child can understand in consistent uh, discipline, in regular no-telling. Uh, because when you do, um, you won't have the first time that you have to deal with this sort of conflict be it 3, 4, or 5, or 6, or 7, or 10, or 18, or 30, or whatever it may be. When you do these things, you will 
you will open up this door that, that helps in parenting for the rest of your life. Now, that may be a side note, but there are often times where children are told no for the first time, and they're are, they are met with really many different responses. It's pouting, uh, crying. Um, it is a belief that this, why is this happening to me? This shouldn't be happening to me. So one of the reasons that we talk about this regularly, beside from the fact that it's in the Word of God, and we just go through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is because I want to avoid the partners of Vintage Church ever being accused or ever uh, believing, anyone ever believing that we have sort of this spoiled child syndrome. We need to be ready when and if this treatment comes, which is more likely when than, than if. But also, and it's, this is vastly important, as we discover today, suffering not only marked the life of Christ, but uh, throughout the process of his life, um, excuse me, let me rephrase this, suffering was something that was prevalent in the life of Christ, not just in his death. And we're called to live like him. We often look at the suffering of Christ and we say, well, you know, can you believe the days that led up to the cross? I can't believe it. He was beaten. He was scorned. He was reviled. He was abused. But our verse today tells us that that wasn't just something that happened in the days that led up to the cross. You, you must remember that they were trying to kill Jesus time and time again, even before the moments that led up to the cross. And so what we find out is, what we see in this is that suffering, that unjust treatment, was something that actually marked the life of Jesus. It wasn't just something that uh, ended the life of Jesus. And then we're called to live like him. So again, we'll look at the scriptures as they come to us and see how we can take action to live more and more of our life like Christ. There are many, many challenges that we would face to doing this, though. There are many challenges that we face during unjust treatment. But I want to point out two, two ways that we handle this unjust treatment, this suffering, um, that I think will be the most effective for maintaining mental sanity and honoring the Lord. And the first, the first idea I want to give you is uh, the idea of walking in the example of Christ during unjust treatment. Verse 21 says, For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an, ex an example that, so that you might follow in his footsteps. And, it's, and it goes on to give the example. So he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He was reviled, but he did not revile back in return. He suffered, but he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. We often understand our responsibility to follow the example of Christ. Uh, we know we should love, right? We know we should forgive. We should act justly. We should do right as often as possible. We should bring the light of the, war, of the gospel to the world. We know all of these things. Uh, often there are more difficult challenges to living like Christ. And maybe uh, that's like loving those who don't love you or don't return love, loving your enemies. Or even one that I find most difficult is returning cursings with blessings instead of returning cursings with cursings. And then there's the peak of difficulty in following Christ, and, and that's where I think our passage comes in 
to play today. That would be following Christ in the act of suffering or being gracious while we are not being treated graciously. While we will not be faced with everything Jesus faced, the Christian life is an all-or-nothing kind of deal. We will suffer. We will experience the things that Christ experienced. We will suffer unjust treatment because Jesus suffered unjust treatment. While we may not handle this treatment perfectly, we are called to walk in a manner as Jesus walked. Now, we have seen over the last few weeks some of that example that Christ said and that the Christian should follow. We see that we should not make ourselves out to be a victim. Um, we should not uh, think that we're doing great by suffering uh, when we've done something wrong. That's just called punishment. That's just called justice. Uh, we should try to live a life following the example that Jesus lived during his own suffering. So I've said that a few times. What does that look like? What does that look like? Or what do we need to even know about it to, to do it? Uh, the first thing I think you need to understand, and I think this will give you clarity, this will set you on the right foot as it pertains to uh, facing unjust treatment and suffering, and that is this. You have been called to this life. You have been called to this life. Look at verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Peter here mentions the suffering of Christ as an example. He uses the word suffering instead of death. In doing so, he is pointing to a pattern that Christ lived and lived and not just the last days of his life. Like I said before, often we think of suffering only as in sort of the last moments of Jesus' life. Like he suffered at the cross, he suffered before the cross, and he took that suffering for me. But really as a pattern of life, really as the way he lived, he suffered and Peter here says it was so we could have, partially, so that we could have an example to follow. Something Peter here is saying that will help to make us, I believe, mentally and spiritually tough and ready for treatment or mistreatment that we might face is this. Suffering is not a detour along the plan of God. Suffering and unjust treatment is the plan of God for believers. It's not a detour. It's not something that we might face. It's not something that we face if we've, uh, only if we've done something wrong. It's not something we face in other countries. It's something that Christians should and will face because it is the plan of God for the life of those who have been redeemed. It's not a detour. When you face unjust treatment or suffering, you shouldn't look to God and say, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? You should, you should instead ask him, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? How can I honor you in this unfair treatment? Lord, show me this as an, give me this as an opportunity to implant the gospel in someone else's life. I'm not saying that we should live desperate and hopeless lives knowing that suffering is a part of the calling of the Christian life. But I am saying that we should understand that suffering and the mistreatment 
for Christians is a calling for us and not for them. It's a calling for all of us and not for them. Often, too often, we look at suffering and mistreatment as a calling for someone in uh, a more hostile environment in another country. But I'm here to tell you, and, it's, and you can see it enough now in this country, that the more you stand up for Christ, even in the most godly and humble way, the more you will face the same things that Jesus faced in his life and at the cross. The revile, the accusations, the deceit, maybe all the way up to physical suffering. The word here, the word for example that's used here is best exp explained like a child tracing the dots on, on, their, on their homework as they're trying to learn letters. You know what I'm talking about? You've got the sort of perforated, what is it called? Copybook. Oh, a copybook, sure. That's what, they, that's what they called it back in your day, Drew. I'm just kidding. Uh, so, so it's a, a copy book. So it's like a, the word is like a, uh, the word, for example, means a child tracing, you know, staying as closely as they can to the line. And, and really, the, the more closely you stay on that line, the more perfect, the more exquisite the letter actually is. So this is the example that Christ has set for us. Christ has left us with the dotted lines to follow and we are to live our lives in a way that follows those lines. And part of that is the calling to trace the life of Jesus as we face unjust treatment. Some things to consider as this unfair and unjust treatment comes our way. One thing you can should consider is this. We should not try to always find an escape plan for our unjust treatment or suffering, but instead we should trace the example of Christ, which we'll lay out in just a second. Another thing is this, we lose the reward of our suffering if in our suffering we find it necessary to let the entire world know. I think it's like uh, what the Lord said about fasting in our fa in your fasting, do not tear your clothes, do not uh, cover yourself in ashes, to put on sackcloth, um, do not let people know what you're doing as you're giving your offering. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When we suffer, we lose a part of the blessing of honoring Christ when we have to tell the whole world about it. Now, again. Some of you are going to come up to me tonight at MC or later, and you're going to say, well, it, sometimes I need to talk those things through. And, and that's not what I'm talking about, obviously. Um, but you know, when, um, you know when you're sort of talking about it, and you know when you're bragging about it, okay? Um, which, you know, it's, it's interesting that that would be a point to brag about. But So we lose our reward of our suffering if we let the entire world know about it. Uh, a third thing that I thought about as I thought about facing unjust treatment is we need to see unjust treatment and suffering as, as much part of our life as prayer, Bible study, the local church, all of these other facets of belonging to the faith. I think when we prepare ourselves as best as possible, um, what we actually do is we give ourselves a foot up as we face suffering. 
If you look at any thriving organization, any thriving group of people that are, that are founded on organization, that are founded on um, endurance or different things like that, you know, the Boy Scout motto is, or was at least, be prepared. Um, the military, which all, although everything they do is not amazing, obviously, but the military trains its soldiers to face any and all possible as many as they can possible conflicts so that there aren't any surprises. Uh, often the, the worst reactions from us during unjust treatment or suffering come when we're surprised. I know for me that's the case. And so as we learn about suffering, as we learn about unjust treatment, as we learn to handle those things, we need to make sure that... Um, it is not, it is, the idea of it at least is becoming second nature in our own mind. And if it doesn't happen uh, like we expect it to happen, then it's sort of a bonus reward, I guess. Um, so we're called to trace the steps of Christ as it pertains to unjust treatment. This is that following those, those dotted lines to get the letter just exact. Uh, but we aren't just called to that. We are called to do it well. We're called to do it well. And the second thought I have under this is that Christ set the example of holiness during unjust treatment. We are not only called to this life of un to face unjust treatment or suffering, but Christ set the example of facing unjust treatment well. Look at verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Peter here uses the well-known words from Isaiah 53 to parallel that prophecy uh, with the way Jesus suffered. He, and as Peter is describing it in 1 Peter 2. And by doing so, he lays out an example for facing unjust treatment and suffering uh, as we may see it. Peter says that not only is suffering a calling for those who take on the banner of Christ, and we sh uh, should, but also we should trace the steps with our own lives as we suffer. We should trace the steps of Christ and suffer well. Why should we suffer well? Because he did. While we will never be perfect, Peter gives us some examples of the steps we can trace as we're trying to live like Christ. The first example of suffering well during unjust treatment uh, and as it pertains to Christ is he committed no sin. He committed no sin. The, sinless, the sinlessness of Christ is well documented in Matthew 27, John 7, John 8, John 18, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Hebrews 4, and 1 John 3. I can text those to you if you didn't get them and you need them. Now, while we will make ourselves... Uh, while we will often sin and we will make ourselves sort of uh, face unjust treatment in a wrong way, uh, we are not going to be perfect. We are not going to commit no sin like Jesus. We are still called to live upright lives um, during the midst of unjust treatment and suffering. Um, just because we're treated poorly, just because we're, doing difficult, we're going through difficult uh, times and moments in our lives, it doesn't give us the ability or the excuse to do as we wish. As a matter of fact, it seems like the calling then 
is to double down on our holiness during the most difficult times of our lives. Christ lived a sinless life to save us from our sin. While our holiness may not, will not save anyone or anything, our holiness will be proof, it will give witness to the fact that the work of Christ is taking effect in our life. That forgiveness is actually a viable solution for the condition of mankind. And it will certainly set an example to help others follow and trace the footsteps of Christ. Our holiness during unjust treatment demonstrates the effectiveness of the atonement on us. While we cannot be sinless, we should have a mind and a heart that at least tries instead of resigns to the fact that we are sinners. I think so often, uh, and it's probably more of a sign of maturity, so you, immaturity, so you may not have experienced this lately, but so often we think, well, I'm a sinner, that's just what I'm going to do. You know, we sort of dismiss things, we sort of look past it, and we move on. Um, I think that in our minds, the standard we should be pursuing is not... Uh, how what Bryce does or what Blake does or what Stephen does, the standard we should be pursuing is not what our friend does or what our boyfriend or girlfriend allows, what our wife or husband allows, what our children might see. The standard <coughs> we should be following is the holiness that is set in Christ. And he says, this is what it should look like. Be perfect as I am perfect. Now, even though we will never be perfect, that is no reason and no excuse to not attempt perfection. Now, some people might not like to hear this, but uh, that we should attempt perfection. But I'm going to say it because I think it's true. Um, no person has ever made it to the NFL without saying, I'm going to be in the NFL. I'm going to be in the NFL. No person has ever said, you know, I'll probably just play peewee football, I'm going to play junior high football, and we'll see how it goes. Every person that's ever made it to the NFL said, I'm going to be in the NFL. I'm going to do it. And no person has ever, and, but, but, excuse me, but many people have been excluded from professional football who said, I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to make it to the NFL. Just because you say my standard is perfection doesn't mean you will always reach it. But I promise you, if you say your standard is lower than what Christ has required, you will always reach that standard. I would rather miss on Christ's standard of perfection than hit on Bryce's standard of holiness. He committed no sin. Even though we will commit sin we still have to pursue his standard. Peter said there was no deceit in his mouth. How tempting is it when we are being treated unjustly to work to deceive our perpetrator? How often do we mislead others to the, to the limit or the amount we suffer? If in fact in a sinful way, um, excuse me, if we act in a sinful way to those who act sinfully against us, we are becoming no better, indistinguishable from those 
who abuse us. He was sinless. He didn't sin. He didn't deceive. This is the example that Jesus is setting. He was reviled, but he did not revile in return. Peter is saying that when they slandered him and when they abused abusive speech against them, against him, he did not slander back and he did not verbally abuse his accusers. How easy is it for us and how often do we point out the mistakes of others as they harm us? How often do we compare others to ourselves and try to make a person look even worse than they already are? When others slander you, do you meet them back with slander or do you choose holiness? I would say because I'm relatively quick-witted and mean, this is one of the more difficult things in my life. This is one, has been one of the biggest contentions throughout history in my marriage. Um, there have been many times where my wife told me, um, can you just not let me win? Not in like an unjust way, but basically those were the words she said. Can you not just let me win? Do you have to get the last word? Do you have to bring up things that um, don't pertain to what we're going through right now? It's because our tendency is when we are being, uh, when things are happening to us that make us feel uncomfortable, when things are happening to us that uh, make us feel bad maybe about ourselves, our tendency is to look for things in others, little sort of little uh, parts in their armor that, that can be um, destroyed, little parts of their armor that can be, uh, that are susceptible for attack. This is not what Jesus did. He did not sin. He did not deceive. He did not return slander and hateful speech with slander and hateful speech. What good is it for us if we start out suffering in a God-honoring way and then we stoop to the level of our attackers? What spiritual good is it for us if we not only lose our witness, but we cheapen the reward for suffering on Christ's behalf? Peter said there's another example that Christ said. He suffered without threats. The Bible said he could have called 10,000 angels to rescue him, but he didn't announce that. He knew that the same people that were accusing and mistreating him in his life would ultimately be the same people that would hang him on a cross and kill him. He also knew that they would suffer an eternity in hell. And he did not use that judgment, the judgment of God, as a threat to them or something to celebrate. As spiritual people, we should never celebrate in the downfall of those who revile or threaten us. If a person that hates you dies in their hatred, they will spend an eternity in hell separated from God. The story of the gospel is not about retribution for Christians. The story of the gospel is not about protection of believers, but the recruitment of believers. It is one of redemption and reconciliation. It is better that a person is reconciled to Christ, even if it causes discomfort on our end. We live at times as if we would be happy that people that mistreat us would spend an eternity in hell just so they can get what they deserve or so that even the mistreatment would stop. Well, they got what they deserved. 
But there were no threats on Jesus' part. He didn't say from the cross, you're going to pay for this someday. He didn't say, you'll get what you deserve. He didn't say, Father, strike them down. He said, Father, forgive them. Is this the attitude that we take when others mistreat us? Is this the attitude we take during contentious moments, during suffering? Father, forgive them. This is the example that Jesus set. This is the attitude that he had in the deepest suffering this world has ever known. There's another lesson that the life of Jesus teaches us to trace. And that's C under this first point. And that's holiness during unjust treatment is an act of faith. Look at 23. When, we, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Friends, we can live the life that Jesus modeled for the same reasons that he did. Even though we may not always walk in prosperity and people may slander or revile us, they may even say deceitful things about us, we can walk as Jesus walked because of the faith that we have a just judge who is in charge of all things. Jesus' silence during his suffering reveals his confidence in the Father. He didn't say anything because he knew knew how it ended. He didn't say a word because he knew the final result. Now, we don't have the mind of Christ in that way exactly, but we know how this all ends. We know that the just judge is the one that is over us. We do know that God has already won. We do know that we are allowed to live victorious lives Through that, we do know that vengeance is the Lord's. And while mistreatment may bring up random ranges of emotions from worry to anger and even doubt, uh, it should not bring up desperation because we suffer well during unjust treatment because we know how everything ends. And we know that the God is for the God who is for us is the just and final judge. Of the world. While we face worry, while we face anger, while we face doubt, while we question the plan of God, we should never feel desperate because God is for us. And if that is the case, who can be against us? I want to tell you something that from this that I think is extremely valuable. When we are being mistreated, our response should be to hold back reviling. And deceitful words. Our response should be to hold back wrath. Not because we're biting our tongue. I'm being the bigger, I'm being the bigger person here. I'm, I'm biting my tongue. Or, or not because we're just going to forget that it happened. But because Christian, the model of Jesus is during the point of reviling, during the point of unjust treatment, not to bite your tongue, not to just swallow it all, but to entrust that treatment to God the Father. You are not a bigger person because you don't say the things that you want to say. You are a bigger person because you entrust the mistreatment that you give to Christ himself. 
You're not the bigger person because you swallow all your emotions and you don't talk about the things that you're feeling. You're a bigger person because you entrust those things to Christ and you let the God who judges justly deal with those in your life. It takes an immense amount of faith to live that way, but it is the way we are called to live. Jesus knew that his revilers would either be judged for what they did or that, what they, would, or that they would be forgiven. But his will and his last words before he died were, Father, his, his, one, some of his last words before he died were, Father, forgive them. He knew that they would be judged or forgiven, but his desire for those who ridiculed him, who reviled him, who persecuted him, who caused him to suffer, was not judgment, but forgiven. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all that all should come to repentance. So as we walk in the footsteps of Christ as it pertains to suffering, we, as we have the mind of Christ, need to be more about seeing people forgiven than seeing our retribution, than seeing our vengeance enacted. It takes a lot of humility, much of which I do not have, much of which I am still praying for, it takes patience, it takes understanding, it takes preparedness. But we have a model of how we should walk in these steps. And this is the expectation for Christians. Not perfection, but a life that is marked by these behaviors. That is mostly marked by these behaviors. Um... I think I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this last point next week uh, possible, or two weeks from now possibly. But I do want to give you maybe like three minutes this second idea. And it's super important. It's probably the most important part of the whole passage. But we will in many ways talk about this over and over again. So I don't feel like I'm skipping anything by treating it the way I am. But the second idea from this passage is that walking in the power of Christ, of walking in the power of Christ during unjust treatment. Not only do we have the example of Christ, but we have the power of Christ. Look at verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Again, Peter here is directly referencing Isaiah 53. Christ bore our sin. Bore means that he he took it up. He carried it up. So he took our sin, he carried our sin with him. First uh, Peter says, on a tree, the word is uh, Cylon, which means wood, instead of the word typically used for cross, it, it means wood or, or tree. I believe Peter is using the word tree here because he wants to point us back to Deuteronomy 21, 23, where we see that cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. What Peter is saying is that he himself, God himself, Christ, who is the second person of the Trinity, carried up our sin in his own body on a tree in a cursed way. He took our curse. He took our, he took our sin. He took our shame. He took the wrath that belonged to him 
upon the upon to us upon him, and he carried it up onto that tree. So now God looked at Jesus on the cross as us. Or at that time, God looked at Jesus on the cross as us, so that now he can look at us as Jesus. He looked at Jesus as sinful and cursed in order that he might see us as clean. But friends, we would come up short if we stopped there. Christ didn't die just to bear our sin and just for our salvation. What does Peter here say? He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christ died that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. This is how we trace the power of Christ and we walk in power. Not only are we saved, but we are dead to sin. The word die here or die to sin is given the idea of walking away from behavior, walking away from a way of life. He died so that we could walk away. We could freely and willingly give up the things for which he died. Christ will not save you under compulsion, friends. You have to understand this. There is an aspect of free will and there is an aspect of his calling that we don't fully understand, but it's there. He will not save you under compulsion. He will not make you become a Christian. Now, he does call you, and we're not going to get into sort of Calvinist doctrine on that, but if you want to talk about it, we can later. He will not force you to become a Christian just as much as he will not force you to get rid, to walk away from the life from which he saved you. Free will then is this mostly. It is the Christian enacting their will that is found in being in Christ to walk away from a life that is dead to a life that is living. We are saved from sin in order that we might walk away from it, that we might die to it and live to righteousness. Righteousness is what? It is the way of Jesus, the path of Jesus. We live powerfully when we walk in the manner that Jesus walked. Friends, Christianity is not just about a future salvation, but a healing wounds, but a healing of the wounds of our present time. Healing of the wounds that sin has called, caused that translates into righteous living today. What is this healing from? Verse 25 states it. For you were lost, you were straying like sheep, but your healing through Christ has now returned you to the fold. We are now, if you belong to Christ, you are now back, or you are under the shepherd's care. Because of that, we live in power. Because of that, we walk in obedience. Friends, I want to tell you, uh, this study over the next 
the ones we've done and over the next few weeks are going to be difficult for you, these studies, because the Lord through Peter is going to ask you to do things that every inclination in your heart is to do the opposite of. Not meet reviling with reviling. Not meet deceit with deceit. Not meet suffering with threatening. You're going to be asked to do things that you feel the opposite way. But I want to tell you, we are called to obey Christ and walk his path regardless of what our inclinations first say. We're called to walk in obedience to authority. All authority that has been placed in our, over our head as much as humanly possible. As much as humanly possible. Because that is the plan and the way that Christ, that God the Father and Christ and the Spirit of God have made. So you're going to have to make some tough decisions. As you do in many times in your life, you're going to have to make some tough decisions. Do I trust that the Word of God is true? And do I follow it as it says? Or do I go on continuing with what my gut is telling me to do? Or what my natural inclinations are telling me what to do? And I hope the decision you make is to follow Christ in obedience. Especially in the ones that pertain more directly to you and to me. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the example that you set for us. Lord, help us to trust you enough to follow you, to live by that example so that we can be a light to others, so that we can glorify your name, so that we can walk in your calling and your plan. Lord, teach us from your word today. Help us to take hold and send us out today to work out your plan for our lives and in the lives of others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.